Hey guys, before I roll the tape today in the interview that I've recorded, I just wanted to do something I've never done before, and that is to have a little intro and kind of like a disclaimer. So I recorded this interview uh, probably two or three weeks ago. Uh, as I'm speaking right now, it's October 22, 2020, which is not an insignificant date, by the way, for my faith community. But uh, I recorded this interview probably two or three weeks ago, and I was planning to release it this this uh, you know upcoming week now in the lineup, and it seems like it was incredibly timely and ironic because um, this very same week, actually yesterday, October twenty one, uh, there came out some bits of information within the Christian world that are extremely interesting and relevant to the discussion that I'm uh, about to have you listen to. So yesterday, within my faith community, um, news broke that a, a young teacher in one of our Seventh-day Adventist institutions was fired because he uh, openly declared in a public uh, magazine that he was in a relationship, dating relationship with another male. And I don't know all the details about it, but, you know, the headlines are Adventist uh, school fires uh, teacher for being gay. Um, so that has kind of created some waves within my faith community. And, and now in the larger um, kind of conversation here in the United States, um, being picked up by different national publications like Newsweek and stuff. And then just incredibly fortuitously, uh, Pope Francis uh, came out uh, apparently with a statement declaring that uh, gay, gay civil union should not be uh, discriminated against by the Catholic Church. So lots of, of waves being made this week uh, on both accounts. So this is a very, very important conversation. It's a very timely and needed conversation. It is obviously a very sensitive conversation. And my invitation to you, a couple things, is I want you to listen very carefully to what my guest and I say about this really important topic. Um, please listen to the whole episode. Don't, you know, cherry pick little parts here and there and say that, you know, this is what they think or this is what they think. Um, listen to the whole thing because this is a, a very nuanced topic and um, it takes, I think, a lot of spiritual, emotional, intellectual maturity to, to be able to have the conversation. I'm not implying that I think I've arrived at some high, high level of maturity in those areas, but I'm, I'm trying to. Um, so, so just listen to the whole thing. Um, and I, my guest, after we finished recording, he said, hey, maybe you should share an invitation to people if they feel compelled to, um, to, to just ask questions. Um, so, so that's my invitation. If you want to talk about this, if you want to have a conversation about it, you can send me an email. I can send them along to him. 
um, or uh, you know we can discuss discuss it further on on uh, on a future podcast. But I think it's really important we have that. So my email address is seanbrace at gmail.com. seanbrace at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. And now I'm going to roll the episode and hope you are challenged and blessed by it. You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Rain. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mission Lab. I'm so excited that you've joined us today. I have a very, very special guest that will, will has, is joining me on this episode. He is kind of like one of those people that like just goes by his single name, which is pretty cool. You know, in baseball, <laughs> there's someone called Ichiro, and then there's soccer, there's Pele, and you know, all these other people. His name is Elijah, and I would like to say hello to Elijah. Elijah, thanks for joining me on this this show, and why don't you just very briefly give a little introduction about yourself for my listening audience. Hello, guys. Uh, like Sean said, uh, my name is Elijah. I'm very happy to have been invited to this podcast, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit of uh, my story uh, and about the things I I have to say about the subject we're talking about today. Um, but first, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm Mexican. I'm, I work in healthcare, and I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. I, I mean, I was born and raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I am a Seventh-day Adventist to this day. Um, I don't know. I play the clarinet. I like to the puzzles, going for hikes and coffee shops. And that's probably all you need to know right now about me. Um, and before I get to share um, the big questions with Sean. And Elijah, you and I have known each other, I don't know, how many years now? Maybe six years? I don't know. Something no, like I think it's a little bit less. I, th I would say probably oh. four. No, it is absolutely not. I can guarantee you it's not four, but that's, that's. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to double check now, but I'm pretty sure it's it's been a little longer than that. But be that as it may, you and I first met on Twitter. Twitter. I think it was, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we became fast friends and... Um, I eventually uh, asked you some very vulnerable questions that um, probably are not advisable for someone to go around just asking people. And we can kind of we can kind of uh, get back to that in a second. But since then, we've we've uh, chatted a lot. We've we've FaceTimed and, you know, shared a lot of emails and and. Facebook messages and all those sorts of things. And I've really come to appreciate, um, Elijah, your perspective. You're always 
you're always keeping me balanced, I, I'd like to, to say. And so I've really appreciated you. And specifically, um, today, we are going to be discussing um, on this episode, the LGBT plus community and the church. This is a kind of a topic that in some ways I have not discussed in this uh, on this podcast, but it feels like it's been a long time coming. And uh, I'm glad that you are willing to to come on the, the show and have this conversation with me. And so, so maybe you just tell the uh, my audience why is this an important topic for you specifically, Elijah? Oh well, um, it's a very long story, but uh, I'm gonna try to keep it as short. But I can basically say that uh, the LGBT community and the church is a uh, both are important subjects to me because both refer to things that are a huge part of my life and you really cannot get to know me or understand who I am, the things I love, the things I hate, the things I fight for, the things that make me laugh or make me cry. Um, I don't know, everything, the plans I have for this life and the next one without either of them because they're intrinsically linked for me and both things work together in me, but um, not necessarily without tension, but that's almost true for everything in life. Um, and yeah, that's basically the answer because I identify with both, uh, populations and myself. So that's why. Yeah. So, so, so what I referred to earlier is, uh, when we started interacting on Twitter, I, I kind of started noticing tweets that you were, were retweeting tweets that you were liking things that you were saying. And, um, I, I just, in a, in a very tentative and pensive manner, I, um, I, for some reason, I just felt impressed to reach out to you and, and, and ask you the question, um, you know, do you identify as gay? And again, I, I think you told me this, that that's, that's not, um, it's probably not the best thing for people to typically do it. You have to really earn someone's trust to do that. And fortunately, I guess I had earned your trust enough, but, um, so, so you would identify yourself as a gay Christian and in some people's ears, that would seem to be a contradiction. So, so what would you say to someone who, who were to respond that way to say, well, you can't, you can't be gay and Christian or you can't be, you know, those two words don't go together. So, uh, yeah, first, uh, talking about what you uh, mentioned about you asking me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that you did anything wrong, per se. It's just that for a lot of people, it's it's a very sensitive, personal issue that people might not be ready to deal with, with especially not with a stranger they just met on Twitter, you know. <laughs> so... Yeah. So, yeah, it's usually unless you're very close to the person, it's it's usually not advisable that you should mm -hmm. instead try to mm -hmm. earn their uh, their trust. So that person 
person feels uh, safe around you and they are able to open themselves to you. But yeah, like I said, you did nothing wrong. And by that time, I was already pretty comfortable with myself uh, identifying mm-hmm. as such. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to share. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not the best move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, about your last question about some listeners from for whom the term gay Christian would be a contradiction. I would I don't know. I might be a bit blunt here, but I'd say that if, mm-hmm. if you think that uh, being gay Christian is an impossibility, I would just say that you need to get out of your bubble for a bit because uh, if you don't think that a person can be both gay and Christian, it's pretty likely that part of the reason why is because you don't know anyone with these characteristics, at least not closely. And and that's worrisome in itself, besides the fact that you might be operating just around uh or based on misconceptions or prejudices. But I think it's worrisome also because that might mean you are not exactly being a safe person, a safe Christian. I would even say a good Christian because Mm -hmm. you might not be reflecting the character of Christ as you think you are, and people might not be feeling safe around you. So if you only know and you only are close to people who think and act like you, I don't know. I would say that you'd need to reflect a lot of prayer to what might be missing in the picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you have helped me. I mean, I've read so much on this. I have listened a lot to it, not, not nearly as much as I could or should. Um, but you've helped me True. understand. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've helped me understand that there is this uh, distinction when we when we use the term gay. Um, and gay Christian, um, there there is a, a distinction that is within the gay community between like some terms, different terms are used, but side A and side B. Uh, maybe you could unpack that a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. So just, I don't know. Unpack that a little bit if you would. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is far from a perfect way to understand the subject, but it can be very practical for people who are very new to the conversation. So uh, we're going to use it here. Uh, it's it's a term that was coined. I don't know exactly but by which um, which ministry uh, a couple decades ago, I think. And it's it basically is, uh, refers to the sides of a... Of a of a cassette um, that you used to put in your grandma's um, music player. You know, you remember those things? Yeah. Yeah. So they, those have a side A and a side B. So it's the same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not, not the same thing. It's, but it's, it's a single unit. It's just two different sides that can have very different content, you know? So, okay. Mm, So using this analogy, Okay, uh, both terms refer to LGBT Christians, both side A and side B. Uh, and, okay, let me rephrase that. Both terms refer to LGBT Christians trying to adhere uh, and being faithful to God uh, and in our understanding of what God wants for human sexuality. Uh, I would say that the core difference between um, side A and side B camps are that the side A camp are 
uh, Christians who understand uh, what the Bible says about human sexuality in a way that says that God approves same-sex sexual relationships in the context of marriage, while on the other hand, the side we camp are LGBT Christians too, but who believe that God, for some reason, uh, it's not okay with same-sex sexual activity in any context, and thus uh, believe that LGBT Christians are called to refrain from them. So that's the main difference between those. Uh, but I do think, and, and it's important for me to mention this, that I do think that people in both camps are beloved children of God and both can live holy lives according to our understanding and the light that's been given to us. And thus, I, I personally believe that I'm not allowed to judge the salvation or Christian status of my brother or sister who loves Christ, but might believe things that are a little bit different from mine. So, so just uh, just to unpack that a little bit more, make sure we 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 are clear on this. So, and not not to be overly reductionist, but basically, side A, Christians, yeah, yeah, side A is God is okay with same sex sexual relationships in the context of marriage, and side okay. B yeah. is uh, God is not okay with same sex sexual relationships in any context. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a, that's a very important um, distinction. And and but but you would so so before I come back to what you you were uh, sharing a second ago, you you are uh, in the side B camp, if we could use that term. Um, yeah. So you yourself have concluded based upon your understanding of scripture and, and the Christian faith that, that God um, would not be affirmative of expressing yourself sexually um, with someone from the same sex. I'm being, I know, so very careful here in what I say because it's a very nuanced conversation, but that's, that's where you land on this particular issue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've... Um... I definitely um, struggled a lot uh, when I was still trying to come to terms uh, with all of these because at first, like when I was a teenager, I, I grew up in an environment that didn't even allow the, the, the very idea of, of not being straight and being a Christian, you know. So, uh, so it, was, it was a struggle, but after a lot of praying and a lot of uh, studying my Bible, and reading and trying to and and also talking to other people that I consider to be uh, godly influences in my life. I and a lot of meditation and everything. I I've I've come to the conclusion that yes, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe that uh, that the Bible uh, does teach um, that we should abstain from same-sex sexual relationships. And, and, and yeah, this is the path that I'm choosing uh, uh, because that's my way to, that I understand that I uh, need to be faithful to Jesus in this area of my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, so some people listening might say to themselves, well, why, if you are abstaining sexually, why would you even refer to yourself as gay at all? Like, why, why not just use the term, you know, same-sex attracted or, 
you know, that sort of thing. What it, why, why would someone like yourself who is committed to celibacy even use the term or, you know, leave room for confusion? Cause I, I think there's a lot of, like I would say more conservative Christians who, when they hear the term gay, they immediately assume that that means this person believes it is not only acceptable, but good to express themselves sexually with people of the same gender. Well, I, I think that's, uh, I really don't like that question, but not. I, it's not that I don't like you asking that question is that I don't like that question in general, because I think it's yeah. a very uh, a point that we should even be wasting time in as Christians, uh, because um, language changes constantly and language can also have very personal meanings. So probably what a word meant uh, a long time ago, it doesn't mean the same thing that means now, or for certain populations, doesn't mean the same thing. So I, I would say that I identify as gay, gay because it actually feels honest about my life experience. Because when you talk about uh, being gay, you're you're not the the word does not refer to who you're having sex with. It refers to who you are attracted to. And attraction uh, involves a lot more than just the sexual uh, part. It involves uh, uh, a lot about emotional and attraction as well, intellectual, uh, uh, drawn to feel uh, to to be in the companionship of certain kind of people. Uh, so to reduce it to just um, the sexual aspect, it doesn't really make much sense. Also about the why not using another word like same-sex attracted. It it's also just pretty simple because what's easier to communicate the same thing a three-letter word or a three-word sentence? You know, uh, it's it 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 really doesn't make sense. Also, the the the, the term same-sex attracted has a lot of baggage for the LGBT community because it's heavily linked to ex-gay ministries that uh, sadly Christians champion that uh, hurt a lot of people a lot and hurt the LGBT community a lot. And so it has a lot of baggage that when people hear it, they're not going to think, oh, this is what it means. They're going to think, something completely different. And if we're actually using, trying to use it because we think we're going to be better understood, we're not. We're going to be very misunderstood in, in a very different context. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, and it's, it's I, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, but if you're not having sex, why should you identify as gay? Because people will, if you say you're gay, people will understand that you're sexually active because that's what the majority of people do, whatever that means. Uh, but I would say that, I mean, then straight people shouldn't call themselves straight either because, I mean, even in the Christian world, Christian friends and 
in the Adventist community, most of my straight friends are sexually active, even if they're not married. So I would say that the majority of people, that's like the straight lifestyle, you know, <laughs> if you want to call it that way. Uh, so when, when, if you tell somebody that, you know, I'm straight, uh, and I'm dating this person, people may or may not think that you're already doing stuff that you are and that you're not, I'm sorry. And you cannot be just, um, trying to, um, police what everybody is going to think by everything you 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 say or do even if especially if you're actually trying to be careful about your, what you're saying mm-hmm. i don't know if it's if they if this makes any sense but yeah um, no it makes total sense it makes a lot of sense and it yeah it raises all a whole lot of of follow-up questions but um what have so so i want to go back to this as well um to be clear you though you have yourself landed on the conviction that um, God would not sanction you to be sexually active, um, you know, fulfilling your sexual desires, you, you, you mentioned before that does not mean that one, anybody else who has come to a, a different conviction is automatically lost because of that. And um, number two, they may they may be quote living up to the light that they have. Want want to unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is uh, fairly recent in my uh, in my walk that I've come to change that. I mean, in the last few years, because. Uh, I remember when I was very young, uh, I used to think that, uh, you know, no, this is what the Bible teaches. And everybody who thinks so is, you know, uh, an enemy of uh, Jesus and and they are not uh, godly people and all that. And I honestly now believe that those are lies. And the way I, I, I see things now is entirely different, as you mentioned, because... Uh, now I see the issue as any other theological difference. Like, for example, some of the uh, the most loving Christians I know are Catholic. And I remember I, I grew up believing that, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff about Catholics and and a lot of myths also around them and stuff like that. And... And I, I, and they believe things that are insanely different about the things I believe the Bible says about many important subjects like the Sabbath, the veneration of saints, and and you know the the doctrine of uh, transubstanti uh, I'm sorry, the doctrine of transubstantiation. <laughs> that's, that's a hard one. But yeah, uh, so they believe very different things than I do, and and but I consider them, uh, you know, that my Catholic brothers and sisters, that even though they believe all these things that are so different from mine, 
I consider them to be my brothers and sisters in the faith, and I consider them to be uh, um, living holy lives. See, they are following Christ in the light they've been given. And even if I think they're mistaken, I think that God loves them to pieces and that uh, their salvation is just between them and God. And, and I, I have no, no right to question that because they might be living a lot holier lives than people that hold the same beliefs in theory that I do. So now when there was a point in my life when this question like kind of hit me and I was like, if I can believe that people like, and I'm just using this like uh, as an example, I don't have anything against Catholics, you know, I'm, uh, I, but, but I was like, if I can believe that Catholics, uh, you know, can go to heaven and that are Christians and be saved, even though they believe these things that are so important to me in very different ways, why that cannot apply here as well? And even even in the Adventist community, you will never believe the same things that's, I mean, the exact same things that another person does. Mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't mean that they are not Christians because of it. People might be living their best life according to the life they've been giving. And we need to remember that uh, we believe that the, the, the light is progressive and that just... Uh, a few years ago, we didn't have all the truth and we don't believe that people who lived before us are not going to be saved. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, I think that the same I, principle applies here. I think that's so critically important what you're saying. It, it's scary to a lot of people because I think in our faith community in particular, and, and more conservative Christian denominations um, were prone to black and white thinking so much. And so it's yeah, scary. Totally. Yeah, it's scary for us to say that a person, we can affirm certain values, beliefs, doctrines, and we could, we can affirm that we believe those are are the scripturally normative beliefs while at the same time saying that just because a person doesn't also subscribe to those particular values or beliefs that they are therefore either lost or being rebellious. Like you can hold both of those things at the same time that this is true. I believe on the one hand, but people who don't believe that that's true on the other hand, can still be saved, can still be like, like living the best they know how. And, and I think that's such a critically important balance to, to, to understand and affirm. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, one example that I always, uh, well, not always, but most of the time use when talking to other Christians or Seventh-day Adventists, when they ask me this question, is like, uh, do you believe, for example, somebody like, uh, Martin Luther is going to be saved. Uh, and they are like, of course, like he was the one who uh, began the, the Protestant Reformation that we believe so important, you know, in the, in the history of uh, our Christian uh, uh, religion. And, and people ne would never question that. But 
I, I don't know. I mean, somebody that just from the Sabbath perspective, that it's so important for us Adventist people, like Martin Luther never kept the Sabbath. Like, even to his grave, they worshipped in what we believe was a, a wrong day of worship. And, and we believe that even though he might have been wrong about that, we believe that he most likely is going to be in heaven because there's grace for that. And because uh, um, people, God, uh, I'm sorry, God uh, gave him uh, the light that he needed and, and what was appropriate for him. So I think it's wrong for us to judge what kind of light or how much light is appropriate for everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, it's so, so good. I, I, we've kind of been talking um, theoretically here, and maybe we should have started off with the kind of the experiential. Um, I don't know, would you be willing to just, you've, you've kind of alluded to it, but kind of just take a step back and and share from your own experience um, how you, like when you were younger, how you um, kind of wrestled with this and, and, you know, your journey of, 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 of grappling with your sexuality and then your experience, um, kind of coming to terms with it. And then, you know, how you, how you navigated the, the Christian world, um, after that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's like, oh, being rosy, you know, because there have been uh, some challenging times for sure. Like I said, I grew up in a in a very conservative home, uh, Seventh Day Adventist, and and I I used to believe you know all these things about what the Bible teaches and now what the Bible says, and so that were kind of very confusing when I was growing up and start to feel that I was not exactly like everybody else, that I was experiencing things differently than most of my peers the same age. I remember them like talking about girls and everything when we were kids. And I was like, I don't know, there was something odd that didn't quite fit in. And I was like trying to understand what was wrong with me in this led to some very dark times of confusion because I, I quickly realized like, oh, this is what's happening. I, I don't feel that attraction that they feel to girls. I, I feel it for guys, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm making it this sound very simple, but believe me, it was not. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. was a, a very confusing time, but when I realized that this was what was happening, I became like super depressed because, uh, you know, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to hell, you know, because that's what you heard from other Christians. And when I, whenever I went uh, to church uh, and, uh, and it, it's not like this was a, a very common topic, at least not where I grew up. Uh, it's not like you were listening about it every, you know, every weekend, but it mm-hmm. eventually it, it would come to the conversation and it was always in derogatory terms. Like, uh, you know, those, those people are just, uh, trying to corrupt the church and they're enemies of, 
of um, of of God, and you know, they um, it's an it's an abomination. They they are an abomination. So I really grew up believing that I was an abomination. So uh, you have no idea the damage that that does to a child growing up. That that they are an abomination, and that's what you hear constantly. Uh, and and you really have no place to go because you don't feel like anybody is going to be safe. You're so confused. And most of the time you have to deal with this alone. So for many years, I didn't say a word to anybody about what was going on with me. And uh, this led to very dark times in my life, was struggling a lot with depression and suicidal ideas and with all sorts of, I mean, not all sorts of problems, but with a lot of uh, mental health issues that I'm still struggling with to this day that I, I can really feel that they were born in the middle of all this uh, struggle and stress of being depressed and trying to suppress what I was feeling. And, and I prayed for ages for Jesus to heal me, to, uh, to save me, you know, and to take away this attraction. But, and there were countless of nights, uh, um, of sleepless nights where I just spent the whole night praying and crying and feeling abandoned by God. Like, why is God not changing me? You know, and eventually I, there, there was a time when I was like so depressed and I didn't want to go on with my life. Uh, but that I, 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 a part of me felt like giving up, but another part of me was like, I didn't want to believe, you know, those things because I was like, even though I grew up listening to all of that things that, that I just mentioned, I was like, that doesn't really apply to me because I was like, how can I be an enemy of God when I love Jesus so much? How can I be an enemy of God when I, all I want to do with my life, you know, is being a missionary and, and help other people. And I really love being involved in mission stuff and, 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 and doing outreach and reading my Bible and singing and going to camps and, and pathfinders and, all of these things, like, how can I be an enemy of God when I really, really love Jesus so much that I want him to come soon so that we can all go home? So there was all this tension always. Uh, so there was a, a, a moment in my life where I was like, I don't know, I, 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 I want to give up. I, I feel depressed. I don't think a life this miserable is worth living. Uh, but something kept me telling, you know, that something wasn't quite right because I was like, I've been honestly praying and fighting for so long that maybe there's something I'm not getting right. I mean, if I have prayed and prayed for so long, and Jesus hasn't answered to that prayer. 
maybe there's a reason why he hasn't answered that prayer. So I try to um, start re-examining uh, uh, why I believe everything I believed and what are things that what the Bible actually says about a lot of things, not just about this, because this led to a much bigger crisis in, in my faith. So I had to like really come like, and okay, am I going to believe the things I believe in general, because that's what people taught me was the right thing to do? Or am I going to believe it because I'm actually convinced that that's, this is what the Bible says. So I actually, it took a lot of time again and prayer and Bible studying. And I had to, and I, I came up with uh, uh, a different understanding of things uh, uh, in many, th in many ways, but in many others, uh, it just reaffirmed um, uh, what I had long believed about uh, God's truth in many other different topics. But yeah, my my understanding of, of about a lot of subjects became a lot more nuanced. And mm -hmm. I came to understand that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the grace of God a lot better. And I came to understand that, uh, that God didn't think I was an abomination or that, mm -hmm. or that just being me, uh, was uh, um, automatically sent uh, like a ticket, you know, uh, for hell or whatever. Uh, and that uh, I started to slowly changing. And I and I and during those years, I I went on mission trips and all of this. And in those mission trips, I'm convinced to this day that God used certain people and certain uh, you know experiences in those mission trips to teach me that uh, he loved me no matter what. And that, uh, you know, he wanted me to be a part of his team and that he wanted me to keep um, praising him and not despite of who I am, but with everything I was that he wanted mm -hmm. all of me, even, even those parts that for the longest time I had believed they were just, Occurs that were uh, that were preventing me from getting closer to God. I had some uh, um, experiences and stories that I could share some other time because they're very long, but that helped me see uh, my same-sex attraction, and not as a curse as I had believed for the longest time, but even as a blessing that I that God could use to reach other people. Uh, and and that that very thought blew my mind away because I had never seen it that way. But I was like, um, I I was like, I we truly praise a wonderful God, you know, that uh, can really use everything, even the things that we think sometimes that mm. it's mm. impossible. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. he can really use anything. Now I have a much different understanding of things and I don't mm -hmm. believe my sexuality to be uh, something bad mm -hmm. or anything. Uh, but back then I used to. So all of these new revelations really turned my life around and I consider myself to be in a much better place now.
Mm, that's that's amazing, and that's there's so much to unpack there, and hopefully we'll have time to to kind of come circle back around to that point you want to, you were making about your sexuality not being necessarily bad, um, which is a really important, but like you you mentioned, uh, very um, long conversation. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> put that one on the shelf. We'll put that one on the shelf because I think it's it's definitely, you know, definitely uh, important to come back to it. Hopefully, we'll have time to do it this time. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask this though. So just just to be clear, like there are are many Christians who, you know, you kind of alluded to it, and this was part of your your major struggle was like this idea that um, victory in one's sexuality necessarily means that their attractions will become straight. That's what the message is that a lot of people are pushing, right? And this is the yes. messaging that you heard. What what's what's wrong with that um, that messaging? Well, I think it it sets that kind of thinking uh, sets people um to false expectations. And it, it's also, I believe, it, it's a false teaching because the Bible never promises that the, that God will change your sexual orientation. Like, never. And God, uh, like, um, okay, give me a chance to, to wrap my, because my ideas are a little bit scrambled in my head right now. Uh, no, it's good, it's good. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, so so God. I mean, God never promises us that we will be free from temptation, anyway. Yes, right? and, like, and 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 we also don't believe. I mean, there is no such thing as salvation by straightness. You know, I think mm, that especially mm. as as Seventh Day Adventists, we believe that we are saved by God's grace and grace alone. You know, and and it's because. Uh, of God's grace and working through our faith that we are going to be saved. And, and with, even if you want to see whatever as an imperfection or not, like, uh, I don't think that, uh, the Bible never says that being straight is a requisite to be saved. And there are Mm. things that people can argue here that we are really not going to, uh, getting to it right now, but uh, because it has to do with uh, the way how we understand sexual attraction being a much modern concept, but we're not going to get into that. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think that there's no such promise in the Bible. And also the empirical experience shows, and even the scientific experience and scientific knowledge tells us that uh, um, sexual orientation doesn't really change, even in in the ministries that have um, that have um, promised people that they are going to change their orientation and everything. Most of those ministries, the ones that are honest, at least, uh, have uh, shut down eventually. Mm -hmm. And like the biggest one being Exodus International, you know, it became uh, very prominent in the evangelical world and uh, well, in the Christian world in general. And 
uh, it promised a lot of people that they were, uh, um, well, it became the epitome of the ex-gay world, you know, a promising mm -hmm. deliverance from homosexuality and all of that. But mm -hmm. uh, as the years uh, progressed, uh, statistics show that the vast majority of the people, even, like you could say like virtually nobody actually changed their orientation. Uh, even the, the, the cases that at first the, those ministers claim as success, you know, that uh, yes, they changed and they're now straight. Many years later down the road, they were like, uh, yeah, no, I, I like, I really never uh, stopped being attracted to the to the same uh, gender. I or uh, I just uh, what I understood back then by you know my change in orientation was just really uh, a change in the way I was uh, acting and living my life. But uh, the orientation mm -hmm. never went away. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's true for like the 99 point something percent of of the people who underwent uh, through these uh, uh, kinds of um, theologies and therapies to change their sexual orientation. Uh, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when you have all this vast evidence that God doesn't seem to be really into the business of changing people. Uh, God doesn't seem to be in the business of changing people orientation. You really have to wonder why that is. Like maybe for God is not such a big issue as we make it out to be. At least mm. not for salvation purposes. Yeah, and maybe... Maybe, you know, assuming, um, of course, one side would just say, well, what's the big deal anyway? Just embrace your, your, you know, fully express your orientation. But if one were to assume a side B perspective, um, maybe God recognizes that living a life of, of victory um, in the face of strong desire is actually a greater testimony than him like flipping a switch and suddenly turning you like because because it it it's actually a much more remarkable accomplishment if i could use that term for somebody to to remain committed despite all of their desire otherwise um and you know, kind of going back to what you're saying, um, I, I remember you've shared with me a few times that, you know, for many people, including yourself, for a while, heterosexuality, like, became your savior, or you thought it was. And yeah, that's, that's just completely undermines the gospel. Yeah, I, totally. I, like, uh, I yeah. believe that uh, that's good that you mentioned it, Sean, because I believe it's true. I, I believe that we, when we embrace this kind of thinking, like it really becomes an idol, becomes something like 
for example, we criticize, you know, again, going back to the issue uh, of Catholics, you know, we criticize Catholics because they uh, they pray to intercessors. And we're, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, we are always like, oh, no, like there's nothing between you and God. Like you can come mm. to Jesus just as you are. But mm. then we come and put all these things between you and God, things that you need to do first, things you need to accomplish first, uh, that they end up being intercessors between you and God, that if that without those, you are not going to be saved. So those end up being even worse mm-hmm. idols than the ones we criticize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I would just say, as I do frequently, you know, in the in the life of Paul, we see in Second Corinthians, he said, "I pleaded with God three times to remove the thorn from my flesh," and the response that that God gave him was, "My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness." And so Paul, he said, "I am boasting and glorying in my weakness because when I am weak, then I am strong." So. Like that's a that's a testimony right there. No matter what it is, whether it's sexual temptation or whatever the case is, the greatest testimony is when we, um, by God's grace, you know, hold on to His His strength, despite you know the allure to do otherwise. Um, so, so Elijah, man, we've gone for 47 minutes and 30 seconds here so far. I have so much okay. more I want to talk to you. And maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll make an exception and we'll go over my normal one hour. But um, I, I wanted to circle back around and, and um, we'll come back and maybe we'll, we'll close in a few minutes with, with uh, your kind of perspective on what the church should do. Um, to to minister to the to the gay you know LGBT community, um, but I want bef- before we 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 go there, um, you have uh, you know you've shared with me before um, that that the Christian Church in many ways has sort of idolized marriage, and so like. What what can a celibate gay Christian? How how could a celibate gay Christian sort of help us see that there's a bigger picture here, and um, maybe we have something to learn from those who are you know are are not in a position where where marriage is according to their understanding an option for them. Yeah, for sure, and I. Okay, I must say that I was not prepared for this question, but <laughs> but I'm gonna to, to reply. Oh, uh, you, you, know, you are quick on your feet. I know you're able to handle it. <laughs> okay, I'll try. So yeah, I think this is an important uh, subject, and 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 I know that this might be sound a little bit harsh to a lot of people, but I do think that many times in the Christian world the marriage has actually become an idol because it's like when you go to church, it's like everything or almost everything. I mean, I tend to exaggerate a little bit, but uh, like uh, almost everything uh, revolves around, you know, uh, married families and their kids. And there is not much space uh, for for people, single people, especially 
uh, not older single people. And I think we do a great disservice to God like that. For example, here in Mexico, uh, I remember hearing a bunch of stories where uh, where the churches were being uh, pressuring their pastors, you know, because, oh, no, he's 25 and he's not married, you know, uh, he's he, there must be something wrong with him. So a lot of people in the in, in, in Adventist churches and the Christian churches get married, not so much because they feel they are called to, but because the it's like the society's expectation of them. And this creates a bunch of different problems, but also creates this uh, this um, this very toxic culture where uh, people are treated, especially single people, as if they're incomplete and that they don't have anything to bring to God's table until they fulfill this prerequisite. When that's not what we see in the Bible, you know. The, in the Bible, you see a bunch of examples um, about a bunch of people that uh, were single and got used them mightily. I mean, even Jesus himself was single. Like, seems to be the support <laughs> figure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, how can you clay, or, or even if they don't say explicitly, it's like it's embodied in the culture. Like if if singleness was like a, a, a sub kind, like a, a lower kind of of Christian, you know. But it's like, how can you say that when your savior was single and live, and we believe he was fully God, fully human, and that he lived the best life that a human could ever live. And he never got married. He never had sex. He never had children. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I, I think we are missing a lot when we dismiss the lives and testimonies of single people in general. I'm not talking about just LGBT single people here. I'm talking about single people in general because I've seen it countless of times, even in, in churches. Uh, you know, when you have a uh, especially, for example, uh, guys in their 30-something or 40-somethings, and people even look at them with, you know, with suspicions, like, if they're single at this age, there must be something wrong with them, you know? So we try to, we tend to shun people out, and I don't think that actually follows the spirit of Jesus. And actually, if we go by the text, uh, even the Apostle Paul believed uh, that uh, for him and that for many others, uh, that singleness in the Christian life was a higher calling. Hmm. I know, I know hmm. that might sound controversial for a lot of people, but I mean, don't take it with me. Take it with Paul. Like that's what he said. Like, uh, yeah. like. Paul treated marriage and celibacy entirely different than we do. So I think it's important for us uh, to at least give us the chance to re-examine what the Bible actually says about it. And not just about LGBT issues, but about uh, the life in the church in general, so that we can actually embody the uh, Christ for 
everybody and that we can include everybody, not just those that I think fulfill all my requisites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, talking to you has been like been really helpful in just my own child rearing because number one, it's it's you've given me some insight both directly and indirectly about the types of conversations I'm having with my children about sexuality. Um, trying to be very conscious of not sharing any messaging that would um, would automatically alienate if by chance one of my children or two of my children or all three of my children um, found themselves um, with you know same sex attraction um, just trying to create an environment where they wouldn't feel alienated from me and from God um, automatically just if they came to that place but then number two yeah I, I, I'm sorry for interrupting you I would no, just uh, try to uh, not push back, but I would say that if uh, talking about pre- precisely about your children, what language should you use so they they are not alienated by things I say? If this happens to be the scenario, you know, uh, I would suggest to uh, to start by ditching the term same sex same sex attraction, like just to start. <laughs> because... yeah, 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 no, 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 yeah, so, so, yeah, no, I, I got you, I'm, I'm tracking with you, I, I was, uh, maybe, um, yeah, I don't know why I used the term, but it just, no, I, I just, reason. I just think it's, yeah. it's important, I know, I know yeah, your yeah. heart, but I think it's important yeah. for people that might be listening to know that this is important, why, because if, if they keep using language like that, and they have children, if their children uh, are LGBT or are growing up with not straight, you know, and they mm-hmm. keep, this is not language that they are going to be listening their friends talking about yeah. when they refer yeah. to this issue. So if you keep using just this very outdated language, they're, you're not going to be able to actually uh, get them to trust you to yeah. enough to share what's going on with them. So uh, yeah. you need to be updated and close to what people actually mean with the words they use if you want to your kids to trust you enough so they can share what's happening in their lives yes absolutely absolutely um so so thank you for just providing some balance there i I was going to also add though number two i am being more intentional when we are having conversations to um communicate that singleness might be an option for them for the rest of their lives. And because just like you say, in our, in our culture, it is always assumed that marriage is the obvious future for everyone. And that's, that's what it must be. That's what it will be. And so I, you know, I, I, I throw in there every once in a while, you know, when, when they're talking about future and families and kids, I'll, I'll often say now, if you get married and, you know, it doesn't, you, you don't have to get married. So, you know, I'm, I'm th- thankful for your influence on that. Um, I know it may not seem like much, but those little things, those little ingredients there, um, I think are important. Um, no, for sure. So- and I, I do think it helps a lot because, for example, this doesn't help people only if they're 
part of the LGBT community. For example, yeah. right now I have a, a good friend here where I live, and he is as straight as they come. Uh, but he, we have talked lately, and he has shared with me that he feels that actually he might stay single forever. And don't get me wrong, this is a very attractive dude that a <laughs> lot of girls in the church are after them. And 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 he has dated girls before and everything and, and has had serious relationships. But he says that when when he has uh when he meditates in his life and in his Christian life, he feels that for him uh life and his communion with God is always better and stronger when he's single. So mm. he has, mm. he has, and I, of course, this doesn't apply to uh, apply to everybody. But this is something he shared with me that uh, that he he feels like this, and he started wondering a while ago uh, when when praying, like, is it really that wrong not to get married? And 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 he has actually started to discern maybe staying single forever. But whenever he mentions this at church, everybody starts panicking. And then people are mm -hmm. like, no, you shouldn't say that. And people are always trying to push him to date uh, this girl and that girl because, you know, mm -hmm. this is what God wants for you. And he has come to a place where he doesn't feel like really sharing much with people mm -hmm. at church because he knows that they are never going to understand and that they're always even going to misunderstand what he's saying. So, um, so I think, yeah, changing our perspective on, on, on the church and marriage and relationships to what the Bible actually teaches about it could be very beneficial to everybody. Marriage is included. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. So, before I ask my last question, um, I just wanted to also kind of affirm what you had mentioned, you know, back when kind of COVID first, first presented its beautiful self to the world and, and our churches were, were uh, not meeting and so forth. Um, I heard from a person or two and I myself even kind of felt this way. So, on Saturdays, when we weren't going to our worship gatherings, um, my family was just going out into nature. And, you know, we were having these awesome Sabbath nature hikes and stuff like that. And I found myself thinking, you know what, this is this is like, good enough. I got my little family. Um, we're having a good time together. I don't have to stress about you know, performing for other people. And um, I, I felt a fair amount of contentedness. But then I realized that there were many people for whom this was not their experience. I was happy because I had my little family. And yet there were so many people that didn't have that themselves. And so it, it was just a, it was just a, um, you know, piggybacking on, uh, off what you're saying. Um, it can be very easy to assume 
that everything's good because I have my little nuclear family. And, and I think you sent me the article that spawned a, a whole episode on the mistakes oh, yeah. of the nuclear family. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, man, we charged. easily, easily, um, you know, slide into that type of idolization. But um, I, I, I have so many other questions to ask, but I, and we'll have to have you back, but I just want to, instead of, of going on too much longer, I did want to ask this very, um, very simple question. Although I think it could probably take up a whole episode in and of itself. Uh, what, what would you say, um, the church, I I think it's kind of maybe already self-evident that the church hasn't done a very good job of ministering to the LGBT community. And I, and I would say, you know, side A, side B, both. Um, so, so what, what can the church do to minister to the LGBT community, uh, better? Oh yeah. This is a very, very heavy question, but that <laughs> like, as you said, probably we could talk, um, for mm-hmm. an episode or two about it, but trying to come up with the most important thing that the church should do uh, towards ministering and uh, to LGBT people, or I would say, repent. Mm. Mm. That's wow. the most important thing because wow. we need to accept and I include myself here because, like I said, I I didn't believe the things I'm saying right now when I was younger, and I did and mm-hmm. I didn't say a lot of hurtful things. Uh, that out of in, in in my case, you know, out of trying to protect myself to what people might think. But either way, like the church has become like this symbol of toxicity and hurt and a source of pain for so many people that we are never, ever, ever going to uh, be able to serve the non-Christian LGBT community in any way if we don't repent uh, first for the hurt and pain and damage we have done because we have and Mm. we need to acknowledge that and own it and ask for forgiveness if Mm. we want to start doing something and 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 also just to follow the example of christ we need to be humble and Mm. we need to uh learn that sometimes the best way to love another person is to ask for their forgiveness in the way I have wronged them and to listen to what they have to say to me. Mm. Mm. That's really good. That's a really good response. Not necessarily. I was, I was not expecting that strong language, but that's so good (laughs) strong and simple. I would say maybe, more to my point. Um, yes, just simple because I, yeah, I think aside and maybe I shouldn't be putting all these caveats here, but aside from where one lands on the side, a side B question, 
I would hope that all of us would be able to acknowledge without qualification that the church has not treated the LGBT community with love, grace, compassion. And in fact, we have historically done the exact opposite. For sure. Um, I Like I've mentioned, when I was growing up, I mean, I was a teenager Christian and I did not feel loved and cared for. <laughs> How much more a person who is not a Christian and that is also LGBT community is going to feel rejected if the if their own people in, in our midst uh, are not feeling that way. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was, I think I, I remember reading in the book by Preston Sprinkle that you recommended I read that something like in America, I don't know, 80% of Americans when they're asked what they, the first thing that comes to mind about evangelical Christians, the first thing they come up with is homophobic. Yeah. And I mean, that's just, uh, just, just terrible. And Preston in that book, he, he submits that what the LGBT community, this is just his theory. I don't know. And this again can open up a whole another discussion, but in his, the way he sees it is the LGBT community does not feel, um, at odds with the church primarily over its views on the rightness or wrongness of, of sexual expression, but simply over the way that we have stigmatized and, and denigrated and um, condemned people just for being people. Yeah, for sure. I totally believe that we uh, have acted the wrong way and we have hurt uh, and brought uh, this honor to the to the name of Christ by the way we have treated others uh, and and I think also it's it's super important that we acknowledge that even if we land on different conclusions about some things mm-hmm. we need to always treat people with dignity and respect because mm-hmm. They are people, and we are people, everybody that Christ loved and died for. And, and nobody, uh, no matter what our theological stance on any issue is, we all deserve the respect an image bearer of God should get. And we have not done that towards many populations, but in this case, particularly Mm -hmm. the LGBT population. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think um, just kind of the the racism conversation recently, it was helpful for me to learn uh, to have someone say, you can tell a lot about where a person is in their privilege, depending on which clause they put first. So, you know, somebody might say, um, man, uh, it's sad that, you know, George Floyd was killed, but this rioting is terrible. Um, or if you say it the other way, you know what, this rioting is terrible, but it's awful what they did to George Floyd. It, you know, those, those, that order tells you so much about where a person is. And I think, you know, 
a lot of Christians are so quick to say, yeah, it's sad the way we've treated the LGBT community, but we need to make sure that, you know, they're clear on what, what God says about, about sexuality versus, yeah, you know, the Bible is, I think, pretty persuasive on it, but it's awful the way we've treated the LGBT community. Yeah, it tells you a lot about where your priorities are. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that uh, Jesus gave us the example that uh, the love and compassion for others uh, and treating the others with dignity always came first. And I think we should follow that example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. I remember um, a few years ago, I put on Facebook, which I'm not on anymore, as you know, Elijah, much to your, yep. your sadness. Uh, but <laughs> I, I just put this on Facebook, like God loves gay people, full stop. And, you know, you, you, would, you would hope that that could just stand on its own and not have everyone add the butt. Um, but it's just, anyway, it's, it's, we have a long ways to go. I appreciate you coming on the show to share your story and yeah and um what really just you know in closing here what really gripped my heart when you and i first started having these conversations a few years ago was um and by the way elijah i've checked you started following me on twitter on august 17 2013 oh wow so ha Time flies. Um, Indeed. So, but what I was going to say is what really just, what just really spoke to my heart so much was I, mem I remember our first conversation I said to you, because you were telling me about your journey with, um, you know, coming to grips with, 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 with God's love. And, you know, like, like you kind of shared on, on, on this episode, I remember saying to you at what point, did you finally come to the place where you understood that God did love you, um, you know, in spite of, or maybe that's not even a good term, but that's maybe the term I used, um, in spite of all these, these things. And, and you said to me, you know, it's, it's still an ongoing journey with that. And, and of course, um, of course, like, uh, like we all, um, we all have those those types of doubts and stuff, but it, it just it just rem reminded me that you some are, are somebody that um, you know you want to be faithful to God, and yet you know your 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 journey is one of of constantly needing to be reminded that God loves you um, with all of you know all all that you experience. Yeah, because uh, for the for the longest time, I really believed, you know, in theory, being a Seventh-day Adventist all my life, I, I believed in theory that, you know, I was saved by the sacrifice of Christ and by God's grace and, and my faith in it, you know. Uh, but by the things I heard at church and the things I was taught about human sexuality and all of that, I, I kind of realized that I I really didn't believe that God could love me unless I became straight. So mm. it it took a long while to actually realize, you know, and I, I was on a mission trip, like I've mentioned before, when 
when all this hit, like, God loves me for me, you know, with everything that I am, with all the quirks and perks that make me who I am. I have a lot of things to bring to the table, but I did not believe this for the longest time. And God makes sure that I knew this in, in that mission trip and in a way that actually told me, you know, God actually loves you. God actually cares for you. God actually likes you. And he mm-hmm. wants to spend time with you. And he thinks you're amazing. And he thinks that you mm-hmm. can use the gifts he gave you for his mm-hmm. service. And I mean, I was like 25 when that happened. 20, uh, like, And that mm-hmm. was, I can tell you that that was the first time I actually felt like God mm-hmm. could actually love me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's so good. Well, Elijah, um, I wanna I need to wind down here. I appreciate you being on the show with me again, and, and we'll have to I'll have to have you back again soon, um, guys. I hope you have been challenged by Elijah's story and his his uh, perspective. I hope you have been encouraged. If if these are um, you know, questions that you've been thinking about or, or you know, perhaps you yourself have these same, um, you know, attractions or, or desires or, or whatever. You yourself are gay. Um, I just hope that you um, were inspired and, and this is a word that was helpful to you. And so, Elijah, thank you for being on with me. So many other questions, but we'll have to leave it uh, for now. Uh, where we yeah we we're gonna leaving. have to do a second part <laughs> yeah absolutely we will do so we will absolutely do so so thanks for being on elijah we'll for sure look forward to talking to you again and thanks for listening guys thank you for listening to mission lab our theme song is portland hike by tiny music additional editing by chris ogay follow us on twitter at m lab podcast